1: Supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe. I back. just want somebody to share my life. With oh man, I just love your big belly. It's like, what? Okay, that's weird to say. We're at dinner.
0: <laughs> like- <laughs> you can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've read my advice in the LA Times, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Welcome to another episode of Dates and Mates presented by TextNow. As you're overcoming your photo, that's fear of dating again, I am here for any app that puts your dating concerns to rest. That's why I recommend TextNow to all my clients. If you're going to date again, you have to move off the app. And if you're smart about moving off the app, you won't just give your primary number out to just anybody. With TextNow, you can get a free second phone number that you can use just for dating. Keep your contact list separate, your primary number private, and get a dating line. That will ring right to your primary phone. Mark that off your photo checklist. It's time to start dating again. Not only is it time to date, it's also time to celebrate. Pride! Happy Pride Month, lovers. I'm all about celebrating equality and love for everyone, all day, every day, as you know, but especially today. I want to give a shout out to my queer listeners who are living their truth and looking for their most authentic love. So today I'm talking to John Paul Bramer. I'm sure you've seen his work for Netflix the most or Hola Papi, his super popular LGBT and Latino advice column in the cut. Now he has a new book by the same name, Hola Papi. We're going to have A big conversation about body shaming, what to do with people's weird fetishes, and how to get excited about abs, even if you hate using them. And John Paul hates using them. So it's going to be a lot of fun, a little heated, but very informative and entertaining in the process. But first, you know, we got these headlines to do. Like, are we getting a little... Too invested in celebrity relationships? And can you find your ideal partner based solely on sense of humor? Then in Dear Demona, John Paul and I will answer your questions, including how to date when you feel out of place in your city? And what's the deal with all these one-sided conversations on dating apps? It's a hot one coming your way. Let's get ready to dish. The Dating Dish. HuffPost asks, wait, what the heck is a parasocial relationship? I had never heard this term before, but I feel very enlightened to learn that in 1956, social scientists Donald Horton and Richard Wohl described this interesting phenomenon that was occurring among the increasingly TV-obsessed American public. They called it parasocial relationships, which basically means it's the illusion of a face-to-face relationship that you have with someone that you, see on your TV. So this is back in the 1950s, you know, everything's in beautiful Technicolor. Everyone's really excited to sit around the TV and gather and those were the icons then. But of course, now things have expanded to social media and it's it's sort of changed the dynamic. And one example of this that HuffPost referenced was, as we become ravenous for news, every little detail about celebrities and we watch their stories on Instagram and their fleets on Twitter and we're like, I feel like I I know him. (laughs) Is it really healthy for us or not? One example of this that they referenced in the HuffPost article was John Mulaney, we haven't talked about his breakup yet, but you may have heard. He announced that he split from his wife, Anna Marie Tendler. And everybody was like, no, John Mulaney. Like, first of all, oh, what a year he's had. And I say this all, he's one of my favorite comedians. I was very sad when he went to rehab because I was like, "Here, this guy that has helped me get through the pandemic by giving me laughs is dealing with his own pain. But of course, you know, that's one of the tropes of a life in comedy. And, Everybody was so invested because he mentions his wife often in his comedy and how, you know, she's really like the driving force in so much of the things that he has lived through. And, you know, I was sad because first I thought, wow, maybe she just like couldn't take the drink. I started to like really think. So now I'm inserting myself in the article, you guys. But I was having this experience right along the people that they interviewed for the story. And I'm thinking, what happened there? Like, was the drinking too much for her or she couldn't trust him? And I started to get very invested in the story. And then like three days later, it came out that he was dating Olivia Munn. And I was just like, ah, of course. Now he's dating another celebrity and she's super hot. And he probably was like, I just want a clean slate. Now, look, look, I'm doing it. I'm having a parasocial relationship right now with John Mulaney. But I don't know if anyone else is with me here, but there's probably maybe it's not John Mulaney for you. Maybe it's another celebrity that you start to associate yourself with and think you're understanding their life and having this pseudo relationship with them just because you're reading headlines or or following them on social. Associate Professor of Psychology Jay Derrick at University of Houston would probably tell me and told this article that your favorite celebrity can't reach out of a magazine article to reject you. So these parasocial relationships actually can be somewhat healthy for people. And of course, as social media has evolved, they actually can reach back and be like, STFU, you need to mind your own business. (laughs) But it's interesting to see how, according to these studies, they cite that these one sided bonds can actually help put people at ease, especially in the case of young people figuring out their identities and those with low self-esteem. Because okay, so now I'm in a relationship with John Mulaney, right? And I I feel like I've got his back. I'm supporting him. You know, I I got over the Olivia Munn thing, and it's cool. (laughs) And I wish them only the best. And I hope that he's able to stay sober and keep making comedy. And it's healthy, right? It's healthy because it's not really impacting my life on a deep level, but it does give me something to sort of look forward to, and. It creates this sort of dialogue in my head. So I don't know who your parasocial relationship is, but you know, provided that it doesn't cross the line into like stalker territory, which they also reference in the article. You can actually look at these parasocial relationships as healthy. So the next time your mom tells you, like, stop fantasizing about that soap opera star, the next time you're drooling over Chris Hemsworth's thirst trap photos. I don't know if you saw like his Thor pictures just to stay on the Thor theme from last week. But okay, it's healthy is what I'm saying. It's healthy and it's all good. And it actually could even help you figure out your identity and boost your self-esteem. Now that you're feeling good, we got to get you back on the apps. But I know, I know, some of you are tired of the traditional apps, the swipe effect. You want something different. Well, TechCrunch just announced there is a new dating app out there that is going to appeal to something other than just looks. It's going to appeal to your sense of humor. And I've said for a long time that sense of humor is key in matching. And a lot of times people will say to me when I'm when I ask them what they're looking for, it's one of the top three things, the sense of humor. But then I have to dig a little deeper and say, well, what do you mean by sense of humor? Because I just went on and on about John Mulaney. And you might be like, John Mulaney sucks. He's not funny at all. I don't know what she's talking about and we wouldn't be a very good match for each other. But it turns out my husband also loves John Mulaney. He was the one that actually got me into John Mulaney. So we have the same sense of humor and that is definitely a benefit in our relationship. So this new dating app, What does it do to gauge your sense of humor? It uses memes to match you with potential mates. It's called schmooze, which I don't quite understand the name and how that relates. But okay, okay, we'll go with it. The idea was formed when the CEO cold emailed someone to ask about grad school advice. And then they started exchanging memes and jokes back and forth. And guess what happened? They got married. And so she was like, you know what? actually, this could work for other people. Sense of humor is really important. So uh, late summer, last year, they did a beta test with 200 Stanford students. And now that's grown, of course, word of mouth, as a lot of these apps spread. Some of you don't know, Tinder was seated at college campuses, including Brigham Young University, which really surprised me, the Mormon University in Utah. Anyways, now it's up to 10,000 downloads from those few Stanford students. And they're saying they're doing pretty darn well. They have over 90,000 matches made to date. So it seems to be working a little bit. They're going slow. They've gotten some VC funding and and you might be seeing this, this app popping up on your phone from time to time. They're doing a lot of advertising on TikTok. But I think this is a great idea. I get pitched a lot of stories about dating apps and I am usually hesitant to share them with you because there's a lot of apps out there that don't end up gaining enough momentum to have critical mass to make them useful for you. But I just thought this was a really clever idea. And I wanted to emphasize how important sense of humor really can be to a connection. You've heard me talk before, like we talked about with texting, how important emojis and gifts can be in really conveying your tone and your sense of humor and style. So they're a tool I use all of the time. You'll see it if you're following me on the gram or on Twitter, but it's something that I would really encourage you to use whether you're on schmooze or not in your dating communications going forward. In a moment, we will be back with John Paul Bramer, but first I have to ask, can we be friends? Can we be friends with benefits? No, it's not what you think, in case you haven't heard already. I have a Patreon group for my true friends, those who listen to this show and want a little bit more support in love. If you want to join a community of supportive daters and get behind-the-scenes insights from me, as well as a weekly live stream where I can answer your questions in a private forum, then join me on Patreon, patreon.com slash dates and mates. Plus you get 10% off of any of my online programs. I'll be launching more in the fall. So you want to get in on that action early. Go to patreon.com slash dates and mates and join for just five bucks. Okay, don't go anywhere. JP and I will be back in just a moment. We're back, and I'm here with John Paul Bramer, content creator, columnist, and author of the new book, Hola Papi, How to Come Out in a Walmart Parking Lot and other life lessons. You've read his work in The Cut, The Guardian, Teen Vogue, and on Netflix's The Most. I had the pleasure of interviewing him for NPR's podcast Life Kit a few months ago, and now I am thrilled to invite the self-proclaimed Chicano Carrie Bradshaw to the show. Please give big smooches to the one and only John Paul Bramer.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Okay, so the last time we talked was a few months ago when we were doing... I was hosting an episode for NPR's Life Kit mm-hmm. about breakups. Yes. <laughs> How have we been since then, John Paul?
1: Um no breakups, no relationship either. So pretty much the same.
0: You're like right in the middle of the pandemic flow for everybody in relationships right now it seems.
1: Getting water for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, but you had a lot of great insights about breakups and I know you give advice. For a long time you've given advice to people on all areas of dating relationships. And I'm really excited for your new book, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Thank you. I want to talk about where it all began for you. Because you didn't yeah. really set out to be like, I know you're a writer, but you didn't really set out to be like, no, I'm going to write an advice column.
1: Oh gosh, not at all. I think that the advice column format and I just happened to each other on accident. Like I never thought in a million years, for example, in high school, it was not like, gosh, I can't wait to be Dear Abby. You know, it's just not what my thought process was. The way it started was Grindr, the hookup app, launched a media outlet called Into. And Into is this funny play on words that guys would say to each other in the app, like, what are you into? What are you looking for? They had all these little media series Mm -hmm. based on lingo like that. Like their celebrity profile series was called Zero Feet Away because there's a distance feature on the app. So you can sometimes creepily see like how close or how right. far away someone
0: is. Which was actually an issue in certain countries where yes. it's like really dangerous to be out. And oh, by the way, happy Pride Month. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in some places, that was a real situation because people could be identified when they. Right. it was like seriously dangerous. I, mean,
1: I think that grinder is pretty rife with issues, honestly, but. Um, so you're
0: not working there anymore.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yes, I am not working at Grindr anymore. I was like, huh, I want to make something that has a similar little play on words. I want it to be fun. What can I say? What do I hear a lot on Grinder that I can name something? And people send me Hola Papi a lot. So I was like, cool, I'll make an advice column call called Hola Papi. And it's basically just been getting carried away since then.
0: <laughs> you know, I'm going to stop and unpack that as a person of color. Because <laughs> Hola Papi, they're like, that's... Uh, you feel about being sort of called out for your ethnicity on the app?
1: Yeah, it was weird. I thought of it as a little bit of reclamation and making it into a column in terms of like now you have to address me as Olaf Poppy because I'm giving you advice as opposed to you're fetishizing me or whatever. But mm. it, it was pretty weird because I, I mentioned it in my book. The first time I was ever called Ola Poppy, I looked at myself and I back then I was a twink. <laughs> so I was like, there's nothing poppy about me. What are you talking about? It's just this weird script that some people have because they want to get really turned on by the fact that you're Latino. It's uncomfortable. It's strange.
0: Yeah. So you took back your power in a way. I think so. I'm going to use this term the way that I want to use it.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
0: I'm curious because I was actually doing an interview the other day about dating race open and the Mm -hmm. challenges of interracial dating. Mm -hmm. And I'm really just wondering from your perspective, like the question was raised, what about fetish? I always have trouble saying this word Help me. Fetish. Fetishization. Yeah. I really have to slow it down. I've sounded out like my son learning to read. (laughs) Fetish you know what I'm saying. Is that something that should keep people from dating interracially? And I know this isn't necessarily what your book is about, but Mm -hmm. I'm curious what your perspective is if somebody's like writing in about that.
1: Yeah. So actually the very first column I ever wrote, the very first letter I ever answered as Olapapi was about this. It was someone who was saying Am I fetishizing Latino men because that's who I go for? That's who I always want to be around. Is who I want to date. Is that okay? Or do I have a fetish? And I had a lot of questions for that person. Because back then, I thought that I was going to do a parody of Dear Abby. I think that I pitched the column to the editor as queer Latinx Dear Abby huffing poppers, is what I called it. And I wanted it to be absolutely out of its mind because I wanted to be a parody because I didn't think that I had any place to tell anyone else how to live. I was like, I don't have any life advice to give, but I can be funny. So I'm just going to do that. So that first column kind of laid down the blueprint for what Olapapi would become because I found that I couldn't just be funny the whole time. I had to actually earnestly tackle the subject that was put before me because I had things to say. And what I said to that person was, what do you think of and who do you think of when you say you're into Latinos, right? Because there's so many different kinds of people who fall under the umbrella of Latino, all different shades, all different kinds of appearances, all different languages, they don't all adhere to just one type of person. And so what I think I wanted to get at was, When you say Latino, you're actually talking about a very specific person. (laughs) And you're sort of, it's not even about Latinos at this point. It's about a fantasy that you have for someone. And I think that it's important to not have those kind of expectations on a person that you're just meeting. Like, yes, of course, we all have things that we like and dislike physically in terms of when we first see someone. But to think in such limiting vocabulary in that way, I think you're just setting yourself up for disappointment and you're setting up that person In a very anti-human way, because they're never going to perfectly conform to what you're thinking of when you say, I like Latinos.
0: Mm. And what about for those who are on the other side? A lot of our listeners of color say, I get really frustrated with dating apps because I feel like people that reach out to me there are like, "Mm, I want to see my white hand on your black skin or whatever. (laughs) Hopefully the line will be better than that, but still (laughs) just as offensive. How do you recommend people respond to that?
1: I mean, that's a big red flag, honestly. If <laughs> I've had conversations that were going pretty well, and then out of nowhere, they'll pull something wild out. Like, I don't know. I'll be on a date, and they'll suddenly start trying to speak to me in Spanish because they studied abroad in Latin America somewhere, and they'll ask me how I'm doing. And it's like, I learned Spanish in a classroom. <laughs> Why would you <laughs> assume that I was like raised with it? It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It's a red flag. I'm not saying you always need to just abort mission right then and there, but think about it, consider it, because that's something you're going to have to put up with. And educating people takes time and efforts. And we don't have a whole lot of that nowadays.
0: (laughs) I agree with you. At the same time, though, it's when we start to make larger meaning of it. Like, oh, I can't Mm -hmm. go online because I'm getting fetishized so much. Look, I said it. and. I think sometimes we look for the patterns Mm -hmm. and then we don't focus on the other things that are happening that, that don't go along with the pattern. And it's really easy to, I think sometimes we're all looking for reasons to just like tap out. I don't want to do this app. I don't want to do this dating thing. This is too hard. So the idea of educating someone, which isn't your responsibility, but certainly if it's blocking you from being able to be open in love, Mm -hmm. maybe that's something worth Re examining.
1: Absolutely. And I would also add on top of that, that it's not just when it comes to ethnicity or race. I think that people often have sort of pre written scripts for how they want someone else to act or be so that they can sort of fit in better with what they're looking for. Because I think all of us have expectations. We all have things that we hope happen. We all have traits that we think, oh, I would really love this in a partner. It would be really nice if they were like this or like that. But sometimes we get a little bit carried away with that. And like you said, we just start looking for little areas where they don't quite match what we're after and it's not always the case like some of the most offensive things of having me on dates haven't been about like someone dropping poppy when they're trying to like squeeze my arm or something (laughs) other times it's just (laughs) like oh my gosh I don't know because I'm like a bigger guy now there will be things that they say to me and I'm just like what <laughs> They're like oh man i just love your big belly it's like okay that's weird to say we're at dinner <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> and that's not like turning me on <laughs> like,
1: right it's like okay thank you. thank you um one of the funny ones i had recently there was this guy who was really into guys with bigger ears and for some reason he expressed that to me with like your enormous ears heart emoji. And I was like, I have got to delete Tinder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> your ears look perfectly delightful and, and average-sized in the best well, kind what of I way.
1: Until he said that, I was like, wait, do I not know something? Are you picking up on something that I'm not aware of here? Like, what's going on? Dating is just a minefield, you know?
0: Yeah, in, today, in today's world, you kind of mm-hmm. have to have a real clear sense of self so that all of these offhanded exactly. comments don't like send you off in a different direction. I I want to talk about the book and all of the amazing advice and entertaining advice that you've given your readers over the years? Are there some questions that you still remember that like stand out in your mind? Is like, whoa, that one was, that story was a doozy.
1: Yeah, and those fall into two camps. They're the ones that I do answer and the ones that I don't. Um, mm-hmm. So starting with the ones that I don't. My book actually opens and closes with a letter that I feel like I can't answer. And I actually end the book with me not answering it because I find that I can do more harm than good. And I like the idea of ending this memoir that's based on an advice column by not answering someone's request for advice. But it was a question that, you know, because the column was being pushed through Grindr, which had a very much international reach, I was getting letters from people in countries where there are actual laws against being openly gay. And I got a letter from somebody who was experiencing that and saying, hey, you know, I have a crush on my coworker. I think that he's dropping little signs that he's into me too. But homosexuality is illegal in my country and I'm afraid to actually like come on to him because it could have really terrible ramifications, if not just for me, but maybe both of us. So what should I do? And I'm like some gay guy in Brooklyn in a coffee shop. (laughs) I'm just like, I don't think I should answer this question. It was a letter that definitely blew my mind because it reminded me that Yes, we're all connected as a community, but also there's just so much I don't know. And there are places where my expertise just doesn't reach. Right. That was such a doozy for me.
0: That's a really good point. Like you're writing your advice column from your point of view. And, you know, people are listening to dates and mates from my point of view, usually. But there's this whole other range of like, I don't know what that's like to literally fear for my life to be able to get my needs met in a relationship or be who I truly am like that is really scary and the stakes are really high
1: yeah and it's not always just that someone has a different identity than me sometimes it like I can really relate to questions that come into me from the different communities and I can be like oh yes I can totally answer this one one that I really enjoyed answering was from this man he's a trans man And he was like, I'm actually experiencing male pattern baldness, which is something I didn't sign up for when I started my transition. And it's really hurting my self-esteem. What do I do about this? You know, like we can just be two dudes talking about like, oh my God, listen, yeah, like there are beauty standards for men and it it really sucks. You know what I mean? So we can sort of relate on that front. But there are some that just come from experiences that I'm like, I could potentially give you really bad advice here because I don't know what I'm doing. And so I'm just going to politely step away.
0: Yeah. I mean, what do you do in those situations? Do you write anything? Like, I'm not going to answer this, but (laughs) here's like some resources in your area. Um,
1: No, because often what I find is that sometimes people just want to put what they're going through down in a letter and send it somewhere. And I think that my inbox is a pretty safe place for them to do that. I think in other people's minds, it's actually very rare that I answer a letter at all. And so they just send me stuff. And I can tell when a letter is basically there for therapeutic reasons. It's like, okay, you just want to get this off your chest to someone, but also send it somewhere where there might be a reader.
0: That actually can be very cathartic, actually. Yeah. I was talking with my daughter about this. She's she's approaching middle school. No, she doesn't have any crushes. But <laughs> as far as I know, she hasn't told me about them. <laughs> I'm like, you are in the worst situation with a mother who does what I do. <laughs> I'm like, who is he? What, right. what, what does he want with you? But just in dealing with the stressors that come with this transition in life, we were talking about just literally... If you can't talk to me about it or talk to somebody else about it, we were like, just take out your, she doesn't have a phone yet, thank goodness, <laughs> take out your iPad and just do a voice note and get it all out, like yep. record it and get it all out. And then maybe you go back and listen to it the next day or the next week when you have a little bit more perspective. But I think sometimes we forget when we're in sort of the crisis mode or when somebody picks up their phone to send a message to you or to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, still send your messages to me, by the way, all, all of you. But <laughs> But you forget all of the tools that you have to be able to cope and get through those moments when you're in the dark places.
1: Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, our anxieties are so amorphous and blurry that sometimes you just want to give them a shape and whatever that mm-hmm. takes. So writing it down, recording something, just putting it out there so that you actually can look at it from a more outside perspective can really help.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to throw a really big question out at you. But since okay. it's something that I know you tackle in the book, Olá mm-hmm. Papi, you're answering life's toughest questions. Mm-hmm. We began this conversation with talking about breakups. So mm-hmm. one of those tough questions is, how do I let go of the past? And I think that's yeah. a theme, whether you're in an active breakup or approaching a breakup. I did hear from some listeners that were saying like these pandemic bubble booze that are all like bursting Mm -hmm. right now and are like, "Uh, I thought we were going to spend our life together. We've been living together for six months and now all of a sudden I'm dumped. It could be that urgent and timely, or it could be even way past relationships that you're replaying in your mind. What do you recommend to those who are having trouble letting go of the past?
1: Yeah. So my book is a lot about this. It's a lot about some of the intense experiences I've had in life and how those events have sort of, settled into my brain, and impacted the way I see myself and the way I go about my daily life. And what I've come to realize in the process of putting this book together is that memory isn't a perfect recording device. It does not have CCTV footage. It is not something where we can go back and find the perfect records of exactly what happened. So when we remember something from our past, be it an event or a person or a relationship, there is a really high degree of creativity that goes into that. We're almost becoming creative writers in a way because we make up narratives about these things. And I think the narrative is sort of what governs our actions around it. So for example, like being ghosted, the actual facts of the matter there, who knows what was going on in that person's head? They may never tell you. But our brains often get to work building the narrative of like, oh, there's something wrong with me. I can't be loved. I push people away. I'm not attractive enough. These are all stories. They don't necessarily reflect what was actually going on. And I have found that something similar happens. Like in my book, I talk about being abused in middle school and how that that memory sort of pushed me to try really hard to succeed in life, to move far away from Oklahoma, to become a different person so that I wouldn't be that vulnerable again. But then when I visited the school again as an adult, I found like this is just a some rinky-dink building. It was never like this tower of doom that I had thought it was even in my adult life. And so I think it's important to when you're telling the story of your life and your past events to tell it in a way that allows you more agency over your life and your actions. And then maybe remind yourself, you know, I can be kinder to myself here. I don't think it means that I'm unlovable. It doesn't mean that I'm unattractive. It just means this is something that happened and I can sort of move forward with my life without holding all these really unkind messages that I've ingrained in myself because I wanted to avoid it happening again.
0: Mm, That's so wise. And <laughs> you. I think, yeah, I can totally relate to those stories as also a person of a biracial person who grew up in the Midwest. <laughs> and actually, that dovetails with a question that we'll be answering later mm. from one of our listeners. But I did tell myself some stories about how I was treated or what was real and what wasn't. That yeah. when I went back, I was like, I don't know how much of that was true. And maybe, maybe it was true in that moment, right. but maybe it's not true right now. And I think that's something that is helpful to remember with past relationships is and once you understand what was really going on or like whether you have a pattern or you're comparing people to that past relationship or mm-hmm. whatever it is that's tethering you to those moments, when you get perspective on them, then you can like choose a different path.
1: Absolutely. Because our, our life stories are not static things. They're sort of growing with us and our understanding of them changes over time as we change. And that can be scary, but I think it can also be good. I think it can also mean that we have the ability to carve out a little bit more freedom from those things for ourselves.
0: Yes. Yeah. So as we're talking about things changing. Yes. And also it's Pride Month. One mm-hmm. thing I've been talking about on the show is the fluidity of gender and orientation, sexuality, mm-hmm. and I imagine you've gotten some interesting questions oh, yes. around that. I actually saw oh, yes. one recently, a recent article that I think you did for The Cut, I slept with a woman, am I still gay?
1: Right. Right.
0: <laughs> you're you're laughing. Tell me <laughs> Tell me your reaction to hearing that question and what went on behind the scenes when you're answering yeah, it.
1: Yeah, you know, I would say it's pretty common that I get letters from people asking if they are something enough. So I get a lot of letters from bi people asking me like, am I queer enough? Am I allowed to be a part of this community? I get letters from gay people saying, I'm not dressing gay enough, I'm not presenting gay enough, what can I do to improve that? There's so many people who are really stressed over this idea that their actions are not in line with their identity and that they're sort of out of reach of this identity and they want some gatekeeper, some point of authority to tell them, no, it's okay, you're fine, you're allowed in, here's your ticket to the club. The reality is, of course, that it's a lot more complicated than that because I don't think, because identities are sort of these language-based tools, when we say that somebody is gay, when we say that someone is bisexual, when we say that someone is anything, we are trying to use an imperfect tool of language to encompass something that simply can never truly be entirely captured by it. So. I'm gay, for example. Have I had experiences in my life that viewed on sexual with other women? Yeah. I talk about that in my book, actually. Having a girlfriend in high school and what that relationship looked like and how it wasn't all just me pretending to be straight the whole time. I actually had peaks and valleys in that relationship that were romantic, that were enriching, that I feel were really important. And so when we talk about you know, labeling ourselves, it It's important to have those because it helps us advocate for certain people. So for example, the disparities that trans people face in the healthcare system. It's important to name that and say, this is what's going on. But when it comes to wanting to perfectly embody an identity, you just can't do it because it's a construct. And I think people are really, really interested in making themselves snap perfectly together with a word, with a label, with an identity. But human beings by our natures, we're so much more complicated than that. And so when we don't perfectly fit into something, that doesn't mean you're doing something wrong or that you're fake or that you're an imposter. It just means you're complicated.
0: Yeah, and and also things can change. Like exactly. You could feel a certain way for a certain person and then maybe you don't feel that way anymore or exactly. you, you're not feeling attracted to someone of that gender anymore or mm-hmm. you just have a different different definition of how you would like to identify and yeah we do make ourselves crazy trying to fit into these boxes don't we we
1: sure do and I think about a lot in terms of gender identity as well just like we should be able to change our minds we should be able to move around we should be able to question things because that's just what being a human is
0: yeah yeah and if I think when you stop questioning that's when you stop learning and I think so that's when the, that's, that's all the fun. That's all the fun <laughs> of all of this. Well, exactly. I'm having a lot of fun talking to you and <laughs> I have a lot of questions from listeners. So I'm going to pick a couple of great questions after the break. John Paul and I will be answering your questions, including how do you find love on dating apps when you're feeling like a fish out of water? And should you just give up on one-sided conversations? We'll tell you the answer to those questions in just a moment. Welcome back. It's time to answer your questions in Dear Demona. Dear Demona. Demona, help me. John Paul, we yes. have our first question comes to us from a listener named Sam. Mm-hmm. Sam says To me, since you are a POC, I think you'll relate as well, who has experienced otherness, how should I cope with the mentality that my predominantly white dating pool in the Midwest is either consciously or unconsciously not interested in dating someone who is black? When I get on dating apps, 9 out of 10 profiles I see are white. I've been swiping consistently and get very few high-quality matches. Not sure how Sam identifies high quality, but okay. Uh, I'm not a <laughs> novice with dating apps and very strongly believe that I'm not making rookie mistakes with having a bad profile. I listen to your show, of course. <laughs> I'm convinced the lack of diversity and people not dating race open is the problem. What is your advice? Just to give you a little background, Sam's 24. Um, he is black, bisexual. He has a master's degree um, and he works in corporate America so dating apps it sounds like are kind of the the big game in town where where sam is but but sam feels a little bit like um a fish out of water there
1: yeah um i would say first of all sam sounds like a catch based on the profile
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, i can hook y'all up on instagram and
1: second of all you know like recognizing first and foremost that's racism definitely exists on these apps and that's prevalent and it's sort of everywhere. That's very much true. It's also true that I don't know anyone for whom dating apps work perfectly. I think that most people just find someone every once in a while and it goes well. Like, I think I have maybe one good date from it every couple months if I'm lucky, you know what I mean? It's just hard to find someone. (laughs) It is always difficult. And I think that's, There will be more hurdles and obstacles in place for non-white people, especially if you're in an environment where most of the people are whites and they have a lot of racial hangups that you have to work through. That's not fair. But it's also just tough to put yourself out there on a dating app and keeping your expectations reasonable will keep you sane, I think.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, I I agree with you, even though uh, my listeners know I'm very bullish about dating apps. I I also... (laughs) I, I do agree with you that not every date you have is going to be a high quality match or a mind blowing date. Some of them are just experiences and then you're like, okay, I learned a thing or I had that experience and that, that, that is over. But I think it's really important having also lived in the Midwest and, and really feeling like when I lived there, at least the standard of beauty was certainly different. And Mm -hmm. I felt, I really struggled to feel attractive, feel dateable. Um, And I saw that off of dating apps, you know, because dating apps right. were not a thing when I lived in the Midwest. That was how things, how it showed up in the world. So mm-hmm. we're not going to solve racial equity and diversity <laughs> on dating apps, certainly, but, you know, what <laughs> overnight, this is sort of an, an evolution. Yeah. And I I say it's also important to, to look for the good like okay mm-hmm. nine out of ten profiles aren't a match but why do we focus on the nine out of ten just focus on right. the one that's working and
1: that's you really only it need it to work once is the thing
0: I know and I got the rig to prove it no <laughs> <laughs> but I did go through you know I, I kissed a lot of frogs and did other things with a lot of frogs Absolutely.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. flashbacks
0: <laughs> flashbacks Woo, talking about the past uh, but but yeah i I would say, Sam, um keep the faith, keep the faith. And I just have to add this one other element too. Mm-hmm. like the fact that Sam is young but seemingly working working in corporate America, like working in with a master's degree, like probably in an environment where already if you're looking to date someone because because I just keep seizing on this high quality matches, yeah, where Sam is looking for someone at his probably education level, Mm -hmm. or accomplishment level or above, that that actual pool, black, white, whatever, may not actually be that large where he is.
1: Yeah. I've done that too before where I've like re-examined what are my disqualifying factors and are all of them even things I agree with? (laughs) And sometimes I'll just like remove a couple of them and I'm like, wait a minute, I just found all these new amazing people. So sometimes... You're also putting your own restrictions on people and blaming everyone else. I'm not saying that, Sam, but a lot of us do that consciously or unconsciously where it's just like, oh, actually, I was very much limiting the scope of people who I deemed that I wanted to date in the first place.
0: Right, right. So like the question is, what would happen, Sam, if you just expanded your definition of a high quality match just a little bit? Also, like play with the other parameters like like location and See, see if you get a different experience if you expand your geographic I area.
1: love expanding the number of miles that Tinder will pick up. <laughs> it's so much fun. <laughs> I'm mean, from rural Oklahoma. It's like, that's how I would meet people in Dallas.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? And then you're like, it's like the fantasy takes over and you think, I could I could have a life in Dallas. I know. What would I'm happen, gonna, right?
1: <laughs> start imagining your fake Dallas husband and like the lawn you're going to have and the job he has. Oh, so, yeah.
0: It could take over, it could take (laughs) over, but it also sort of the fantasy keeps us going. So I agree. One more question for you before you have to go, John Paul, this Mm. one comes to us from Frances. She says, um, I have a question about first text impressions. I'm texting guys that liked me on Hinge, but they aren't interested in making conversation on the app. They give me one sided answers and it's like pulling teeth to talk. Do I just end the convo right there?
1: I am going to come out and say I struggle with this a lot, too, because mm. to me, I am an oversharer. I love in-depth conversations, but I also recognize not everyone is like that, especially men, <laughs> where I was just like, <laughs> I mean, I'll be talking to someone and they'll be giving me these really short answers. and I'm like, oh, wow, they think I'm hideous. They don't even like me. And then out of nowhere, I'm like, do you want to hang out? And they're like, yeah, let's hang out. I'm like, what? And then they're different <laughs> communicators in real life than they were on these apps. Like you can be yes. so one person over text and on the app and be completely different in real life. So I'm always reluctant to just completely discard someone because they suck at keeping me entertained on Hinge.
0: <laughs> That's a really good point to make. And I actually, a very good friend of mine is now single again. Mm-hmm. And she just texted me yesterday. Like, I'm, I'm having trouble texting with these guys that I met. They're really great on the phone, but they're not good over text and i don't know if something's mm. wrong and i was like uh then don't text them like to, right. to get a guy who's good on the phone is like to me so much more valuable than a guy that's good over text cuz it it yeah. that is its own skill set right to text and be flirty but that doesn't mean you're going to be interesting that you'll be able to sustain conversation
1: exactly i was like imagine the inverse <laughs> like they're really good at texting or talking to you over that and then you meet in person, and it's like this is a dud. There's no conversation. That's worse. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, what happened to this guy? He seemed so flirty and fun, right. and now also, he's so boring. I feel my
1: opinion is so skewed too because I work in communications and I like writing, and so I really love putting. I mean, I love being emotive over text, and not everyone's like that. But sometimes I pretend everyone else is. <laughs> it's just I'm, an unfair. Standard, how is I think. your?
0: Yeah. What is your emoji usage? Um, what are your emoji usage rules?
1: Um, they're all mostly ironic, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> they're all like crying, or so in in gay world. I don't know if it's the same in any other world, but there's that weird we call it the bottom emoji, the one that's making the like pleading eyes or whatever. And I think it's so funny because it's just come shorthand for like, please sir, come do this to me or whatever. I think it's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> i'll have I'll to look that like up <laughs> later after really benign statements <laughs>
0: <laughs> see i learned something new every time i talk to you um i i just want to go back to francis's question though real quick yes. one-sided answers like if they have just matched on hinge mm-hmm. but they're not interested in making conversation on the app like you don't have anything to go off of to me right. i would say that that sounds like a time waster and thank yeah. you next
1: yeah. you yeah. yeah. If you feel like you're just throwing words into a void, <laughs> I think that's a sign that like, because sometimes people, I'll never understand this behavior, but I know it's very common. They just match with people who they actually do not want to talk to. It happens a lot on huh. Tinder. It happens a lot on Hinge. It's a pretty common phenomenon. And I think being able to identify that, okay, that's what's up here <laughs> is going to save you a lot of time
0: that that is exactly it and it's all about we have to conserve our time it's our most valuable resource it's non renewable so. i agree completely
1: and especially <laughs> i think a lot of people nowadays are thinking like oh i have to make up for all the things i didn't do over the past year and so people i'm very interested to see what people's dating habits will look like and what their romantic lives will look like once it, if everyone actually follows through with the promise of going buck wild this summer
0: dare you make a prediction what what do you think like if we check in september 2021 yes. What do you think? So,
1: I'm of two minds of it. You ever like be on your way to a party and your friends are like, "I'm gonna get so messed up tonight," and that's how you know they're they're going to physically die <laughs> because they're just like <laughs> promising something. Like every time anyone's ever told me how wild they're about to get, I'm like, "Oh, you're about to get drunk, <laughs> drunk." So that could <laughs> be like, that let
0: could me, happen. <laughs> let me get the nine one one just like loaded exactly. into your phone. Like, okay, there could yeah. be
1: an immediate chaotic first month and everyone just deals with the hangover of that for the rest of the time Mm. or everyone's just talking a big game right now (laughs) and when push comes to shove it's just like no actually i'm too anxious and i i was just saying those things because i was bored and i had too much time and now that i'm actually here in the moment i don't know about all this
0: yeah yeah <laughs> I'm with you. I we'll see. We'll see how how it is. I think you know people <laughs> <Yeah>. are saying, <laughs> people are saying like I came out of the pandemic. I'm relationship minded now, and I'm gonna ease into it. But then then there's the other. Then there's people being like hot back summer, and I think the oh, truth yeah. is always somewhere in between the extremes. Yes, but. My hope is that what it results in is just a slowing down and like everything we've been talking about, like really getting perspective on who you are, what you want, the choices that you're making, how you're treating other people, how you're treating yourself. Yeah. The stories that we're telling ourselves and then the stories that we're writing and the choices we make in our lives.
1: I really hope so, too. I think that would be the best case scenario. And I'm going to try to do that myself. I hope that for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Well, we will be reading about it in your column. <laughs> we'll be reading about it also in your new book, Hola Papi, which we will put the link for everyone Yay. to buy in the show notes. And then maybe also in the show notes, maybe we can do like... Um, Like a like a gay emoji lexicon sort of dictionary.
1: Yeah, no, you should put like "buy the book, please." Bottom emoji.
0: I love it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I hope you all at home enjoyed episode three hundred and sixty-four of Dates and Mates. Definitely check out John Paul's new book, "Hola, Papi," and his advice column by the same name. I am also here to give you advice. You can hit me up at Damona Hoffman on all of the socials. Send me a DM on any platform with your questions for the show. You can even leave me a voice memo on Instagram, and that can go right into your dates and mates' ears. I'll be back again next week with Anna Iovini from Mashable, who will be reporting on Mashable's new study that asked the question, do people really want a hot vac summer? Maybe a hot granny summer is more like it. (laughs) We'll tell you what the survey said next week. Until then, I wish you happy dating.